That is the immortal single by the Essex, entitled Easier Said Than Done. And although the context of the situation is a little bit different, the title is of the most direct moment and application to the spiritual struggles, the emotional struggles, the psychological struggles, and the character and ethical struggles that I believe... Golly, just about everybody I know seems to struggle with, and it's this uh, question of easier said than done about which I'd like to speak briefly, and then we'll conclude the cast with You and Me by the Moody Blues off their oddly named album Seventh Sojourn. Now, Easier Said Than Done is a... um, a, statement that I would apply to almost all preaching that I hear and all exhortation that I hear in the world and all um, kind of uh, ethical mandates to be a good, uh, kindly, virtuous person, what is often called virtue signaling today. And um, I think it's obvious uh, to... um, to experienced people, I mean, I hope that doesn't sound condescending. It's, it's, I guess I mean, it's obvious to me that when uh, people tell me all the many good things I ought to do vis-a-vis volunteering in aid of Hurricane Harvey victims or the homeless and taking the midnight runs of uh, coffee and uh, donuts uh, on Friday night with a youth group or establishing a certain kind of... Uh, beloved community, as the current word is, in my parish, all of which are very um, laudable and genuinely positive 
aims, but they are easier said than done. We all know, I think, that um, mandate and imperative Yusuf, um, tires and exhausts us and gets us to the point when we actually react against it. We know this from raising children, and I've said it and written it a thousand times, and it's constantly in front of one that the moment I was talking to, a, I was attempting to talk to a, a, a grandchild of mine in a car the other day, and uh, the wonderful parent was trying to get this grandchild to talk to me over a cell phone and say a nice hellos to grandfather. And um, the child, I mean, would you? You know, you had some. You were doing something else with your attention at that point, and you see this instrument, and you don't see the person. You barely remember who the person is, really, and you have other things you want to do. And the more you're pushed, oh, hello, grandfather. You know, you might get. It has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the dynamic. That is easier said than done, and um, so all attempts to kind of lecture you into being a better person or your attempts to lecture somebody else or to tweak their various products and achievements and to try to sort of uh, direct them in a different direction or change the um, degrees in which they are moving north just by a hair uh, because you see the shoals which they don't see. They all are easier said than done because human nature uh, can't do it. Human nature has other things that human nature wishes to do. There are other goals and other uh, ideas and other incentives and other motives that govern the other person, let alone you. And uh, those motives have to be catalyzed and uh, uh, addressed and supported in order for an activity to change. Now, I want, however, to take it one step further. This, to me, sort of obvious behavioral principle that that uh, it's easier said than done. You know, son, the trouble with you is you're not da-da-da-da-da, and as long as you don't da-da-da-da-da, you're not going to get anywhere in any kind of profession that Well, it's easier said than done telling him what to do. Or, you know, if you would just date the right kind of fellas, um, you know, Lucille, and uh, just kind of um, change the way you look, you might attract the kind of man who would be a long-term prospect to uh, nurture, be devoted to, and put yourself first in life rather than these absolute crumbs that you seem to attract through your self-presentation. Well, it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done for your words to have any impact, and it's easier said than done for her uh, ideas of who she is to change. It has to come from within. I mean, it's a cliche. But now, I want to take it a step further to the whole actual pre of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Christian faith at its earnest heart. And I want to really simply say that there's a reality principle that I want to, to, to express, which I think confutes almost every sermon I ever hear, and yet there's also hope. And the hope is derived from a place where the wonderful Tamara Sansbury tells me she used to get parking tickets in New Haven, Connecticut. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, the, uh, uh, let's say I, I go and I hear a sermon and the preacher is a good and devout and uh, traditional Orthodox Christian, let's use those words maybe, and uh, also knows about the difference, at least ideologically, between the law and the gospel in the reformational sense of that word, the difference between between uh, uh, telling a person what to do and enabling by means of prior love and by pointing to prior love to 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 uh, change the, the sluice gates, the, the, the inner motivations through prior 
prior love and uh, the difference between that. And say this person knows between the prior love and the exhortation and has all that down. And then they say, well, you know, the thing you have to understand also is that God is with you when you're really bad. God is uh, God is not the God of the virtuous. God is the God of sinners, right? Um, uh, he, uh, We love because he first loved us and uh, uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's a, a statement we hear a lot, but but it's easier said than done. Even that is easier said than done. Someone says, well, God is in the midst of your mess, or the God we know, the only God we know, who is the man from Nazareth, the compassionate Christ, the the Lamb of God, the, the man for others, the one for others, this is the one who is never going to turn his back on you, the sinner, the repentant one, the one who's lost. He is actually in the midst of your greatest trials. And when the hurricane hits, as well as when your husband, uh, quote, you know, socks you, as it were, emotionally in the stomach and leaves you for another woman, or your your wife criticizes you in a, a bitterly accurate manner, but with no love and no strain of love. Oh, like the woman in in that uh, Some Came Running from 1958 with Arthur Kennedy, and the wife is just brutal in her both her sexual repulsion vis-a-vis -vis her husband and her uh, real deep lack of respect and hatred, the horrible things she says. No wonder he goes out and 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 leaves leaves her it's it's uh, but but the point is uh, the uh, god is in the midst you know when you're left when you leave god is in the midst of of the terrible problem at home that you have god is in the midst of that lost child god is in the midst of that professional reversal i mean that real professional reversal and look i i i speak about that with with uh, with feeling and and uh, some common ground uh, god is in the midst when you're in the middle of hurricane harvey and it I, nobody cared, really, but I might say, let's say I say to someone who's cleaning up his church or in the worst possible aftermath of the catastrophic flooding related to Hurricane Harvey, and I say, well, you know, I know what it was like. Well, what does it mean to him to hear me say that? Well, but the fa funny thing is, at least I can say it for myself, because Mary and I lived, lived directly through Hurricane Hugo, and we've been there, quote, end of quote, done that. Uh, it doesn't mean a thing to the sufferer we're talking to, but it means something to me, because I can, in fact, look at the look of, of, of kind of bafflement on the part of a friend, or d deep distress, and remember that the look was there with me. What, what, what did God do, bringing me to a new parish, and then suddenly sicking on us after the terrible illness of one of our children? I mean, the near-fatal illness of one of our children, within just a couple weeks of that amazing and surprising and to be given great thanks to God for recovery, we're hit with Hurricane Hugo. I mean, in the direct line. So, you know, but the point is easier said than done. What I'm trying to get at, it's easier, it's so easy for people to say, oh, you know, God is in the midst of your terrible distress. God is most there. He's characteristically there. He is not a God of glory. He's a God of crucifixion and, and pathos. He's a God of poignant loss. He is a God of unfair suffering. And he's also the God of those who are, have, have earned their suffering. He is God of uh, a culprit, as they say in the uh, theology of, uh, of uh, hope. And he is the God of the victim and uh, the offender and the offended, but especially in the midst of the intractable problem. Remember I told you about that friend of mine who had said that he did not know a single person his age, which is roughly my age, who was not dealing with or had not dealt with directly an insuperable problem, an 
a, a, a problem that was not susceptible to any correction or, or diminishing, uh, a, an insuperable, unstoppable, unconquerable problem. Well, um, we say uh, God is in the midst, but uh, or we say God is the God for sinners, but do we do we really mean it? I mean, I wanted to, a couple of weeks ago, I was attending a sermon, and she said very similar things. The, the, clergy, the clergy person, the, the priest, said very similar things, and they were very true and wonderful things, but uh, I kept wanting to say, well, now, can you can you show me in your own heart, out of your own experience, can you show me by the tone of what you're saying that it's actually happened for you? Because for you to tell me that God is in the midst of my mess, and I mean my really big mess, that is easier said than done. Because there is one problem that I have, and I'm speaking here rhetorically, one general, one problem that you and I have, or that she has, or somebody else has, or that child has, be it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you name it, there is one problem that, do you really believe God is in the midst of that? One of the reasons I love, um, what is it called, that wonderful book, um, by uh, Joyce Carey that I think it's called The Passion and the Power. I'm going to read from it. Um, it's a, a very um, uh, extraordinary uh, novel. I think it's called The Passion and the Cross, The, the Power, and I'll, I'll, I'll get that for the um, blurb, but um, Joyce Carey has the brilliance to talk about a very f flawed evangelist an evangelist in England in the 1950s in London, working class England, who in fact is brilliantly in touch with God, profoundly in touch with God, but he's also capable of doing just what have seemed to be awful things, and especially with women, one woman in particular. And you, 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 you find it hard to, for him to, to imagine that, um, th that Joyce Carey, the novelist, he was a man, by the way, from uh, Northern Ireland, uh, uh, for Protestant Ireland, he, he actually has feelings for this remarkable evangelist who in fact has one very great flaw and it's not the usual sexual you know the, the usual sexual falls of of people in this field it is something that is very specific and that is dealt with with enormous power because it turns out that the woman in question is just as much part and there's no uh, it is strictly 50-50 if not if not more on her part and it's a, such a non-current expression of this problem but the author writes of the evangelist whose name is Mr. Paredy, P-R-E-E-D-Y. He says, uh, and he's speaking about England in the 50s, working class England. It is quite certain that Mr. Preedy had given to hundreds in the region of Pants Road, this is in uh, East London, and thousands in the UK, a guiding string in the black fog of their lives. Carey continues, through Preedy, for the first time in their bewildered existences, People had walked confidently forward in the certainty or near certainty of knowing not only where they were going, but actually what kind of a world surrounded them. And these people, even the stupidest of them, perceived at once that any attempt to limit Preeti's promise cut that string and left them once more lost and bewildered in the fog. Well, this man had done something really quite remarkable and absolutely marvelous. And the way Joyce Carey describes this evangelist, who is flawed, and he does not turn away from the flaws, but he ultimately endorses the divine ministry of this flawed man. Now, Joyce Carey has the eye, and I don't know where he got it, although he had grown up with a lot of evangelical Irish Protestantism, and believe it or not, Anglican evangelicalism around in the air. He said it in one of his memorial, uh, memoir essays. He 
was able to depict a man who really does have a mess, a serious mess, and yet for whom and with whom God is present. For whom and with whom the God that is the real God, the good God of the Bible, is actually present and working. And remarkable things happen, as it turns out. Once it is stated that it is, it is easier said than done, so let's just do it. Let's just apply the gospel to someone like Mr. Pre- Mr. Preeti. Let's actually, because when people say, oh, he's in the midst of your mess, they're always going to exempt a couple messes. You know, if you are this kind of person or that kind of person, and whether you're on the right or the left or the middle, you can, you can find somebody for whom there is no forgiveness. You can talk about one, well, in this case, God could not possibly love that person because of his attachments to this or that ideology or this or that group. And you could do it from the left and you could do it from the right. And so you can say, well, I, I believe that God is in your mess, but believe me, what about if it happens to you, my friend? What about if you suddenly find yourself in an unconquerable, redoubtable, and un, uh, super, uh, insuperable uh, problem of your own making? Is it actually true then that God is part of your mess? It's easier said than done, but it can be done. Now I'm going to conclude by the reason we know this is true. We're, we're going to say that we've understood that the human predicament is um, very far from being uh, susceptible to healing uh, because the people that might prov- prov- give healing actually exempt certain cases. And it is easier said than done. But when it is done, great things happen. And uh, we were uh, at, this is where Tamara Sams- Sansbury comes into it. Um, Mary and I, with Duo and Liz Dickinson, were w- uh, walking around, um, driving around New Haven the other day, and we came to the Grove Street Cemetery, a very famous ancient cemetery, <clears throat> almost in the middle of New Haven, and across the great Greek, uh, Egyptian Revival Gateway, which is truly magnificent, from 1830 or something like that, something like that, the words are inscribed, and they're the original words of the entry to this cemetery. The words are inscribed, the dead shall be raised. Now, think about that in terms of current loss of hope. Think of that in, in terms of current suicide statistics. Think of that in terms of current lack of belief in everything. I was absolutely lectured up and down the other day somewhere by a man who uh, did not believe what I believe about eternal life, and he, he absolutely just pinned me to the wall. Uh, so uh, upset was he about what he took to be my words on eternal life. Well, uh, okay. I was glad he told me. I was glad he could tell me, looking me in the eye. He's a good man. But when um, you see, and we saw it directly, the dead shall be raised. I Instagrammed the picture. It's unbelievable because that's where we really come down. Nothing is foreign to the grace of God. And there are in fact no messes that are, uh, that are impossible. There's not one single exception. There's not one single exception because we believe that the dead shall be raised. And I uh, find that of the um, highest uh, moment and the most important and courageous power. So now, um, thank you for listening. And we have just a little bit of a word about uh, a relationship that has great hope, although is is rather um, limited to two particular persons. You and me, the Moody Blues from Seventh Sojourn. (laughs) 